Hello, y'all. This is the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent. Back with you here on a Wednesday. Hope y'all are getting through the middle of the week just fine and dandy. John Rawl in for a three-hour odyssey of all things Dixie. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here at the All Southern Show. want to welcome in all of our new listeners. And if you like what you hear, do us a big Southern favor if you don't mind. Tell a friend. Tell a couple of friends if you don't mind. Because the way this thing's going to grow like kudzu, it all depends on... Well, let's be honest with you. It all depends on y'all. And I'm not talking about y'all.com. I'm not talking about the show. It depends on you guys. We got to tell each other about the show. If you like it, if you hate it, well, that's fine, too. That's America. We don't have to like everything. But we think we're doing a pretty good job of getting the South up and just promoting it and telling you everything that's going on. On this Wednesday, y'all show, we've got headlines from across the country more flooding in louisiana and at least one death reported we'll share some tips if you ever are traveling and you get stuck in a car that starts to flood i've got some tips to help you out and i'll share that here in just a second as we walk through the headlines of the country from elizabeth city north carolina the district attorney there saying the death of andrew brown jr was justified by the sheriff's deputies there in that eastern north carolina city the other week we also will tell you some political news going on around the country right now. The senator from the United, the U.S. senator from Georgia, uh, said something a little bit weird, a little bit maybe controversial about COVID and the sixteen nineteen project. We'll tell you what that is. Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor, former U.S. ambassador to the UN, she is getting attacked by Chris Christie. Yeah, the New Jersey loudmouth going after. A Southern lady. We'll tell you what that's all about. Also, Charles Barkley helping out Leeds, Alabama. How is the NBA superstar doing that? We'll tell you. Also, free beer and ice for those getting vaccines in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We'll have info on that. And a hangry alligator chasing customers at a Florida Wendy's. All that coming up in today's headlines from throughout the Southland. We also have sports news update from the NBA play-in tournament, and it was not a good day for one of your Southern teams on the NBA hard court on Tuesday evening. We'll tell you which team has now ended their season. All that in our Southern sports update. Also, we'll give you a little bit of a preview of what's going on in college football in our Southern sports update. Later this hour, our ACC insider is going to be on Jonathan Lifite, the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference has recently come out talking about the college football playoff, and we'll find out exactly what Jim Phillips said when we talk to Jonathan Leifite later this hour. Plus, we've got an update on some of the top women's ACC basketball players returning to the hard court in 2021-2022. That, plus ACC football news and notes, and a look at this weekend's final regular season series of ACC baseball. All that in our Atlantic Coast Conference report with our 24-7 Sports ACC insider, Jonathan Lifey. Kobe Bennett stopping by with a southern accent on culture also this hour. When we turn the page to hour two, we've got our southern business report. We've got some news and notes from the business world to pass along. And we'll also tell you the top 30 places to start a business. Now, that's a nationwide top 30, but we're going to kind of crank in on the southern cities on that list and tell you why all that is part of our southern business report hour number two 
Then we got a darn good guest stopping by. Niles Reddick is an author. He's penned about four books and about 4,000 articles. And Niles Reddick will be in to tell us about some of the best-selling options out there right now and a little bit more about some of the books he has out, like Reading the Coffee Grounds and more. Niles Reddick will be on Hour 2 in our Southern Book Showcase. We also have hashtag hullabaloo headed your way in today's show, and we'll wrap up things today. Speaking of Niles, on Tuesday, he and I had the opportunity to go to lunch, and we had a pretty good, well, we had a good lunch, but a really nice gesture happened while we were at lunch, and I'll share that as we close out today's y'all show. It has to do with the man upstairs, if you know what I mean. All that coming up on today's Y'all Show. We are powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. Go there right now and see a lot of the great Y'all Show interviews done on video. You can watch interviews that we've done at y'all.com and other great stories. We just put one up about Memorial Day. Yeah, that's coming up pretty soon. What, less than two weeks now, we'll be celebrating Memorial Day 2021. All that at the homepage of the South y'all.com all right let's dive into headlines across the southeast and flooding continuing in louisiana we told you how governor john bell edwards of the pelican state issued a emergency declaration on monday and now we know that that declaration was well informed and well needed because we've seen deaths recur occur as a result of more flooding louisiana unfortunately has taken the brunt of mother nature here over the last few years, multiple hurricanes. You've seen things like the uh, the pipeline, or rather the, uh, what is it called? Um, Deepwater Horizon from nine, ten years ago, right off the Louisiana coast, and that caused such havoc there. Of course, when I say hurricanes, we're talking going back to 2005's Katrina, but you have the other hurricanes that have come consecutively into all portions of louisiana over the last just two years and now flooding is another problem and someone brought up to me that if you fly over in a helicopter you'll see home after home with the blue tarp on it that has been there for a year or more because of past storms and now you've got more storms more flooding it's a big mess in louisiana especially in the coastal portions of the state lake charles stretching on down to homa and places all throughout the so-called acadiana area of louisiana but all portions of the state really coming under a, a an intense attack from mother nature right now and we know that at least one person has been found dead in a car as a result of going into floodwaters in the state so with that in mind here on today's y'all show i want to give you a little information about if you're ever driving and your car becomes flooded what to do and this happens all the time not just in louisiana but happens really anywhere where there's a chance you might encounter a a storm warning where there's going to be flood waters a, a flood warner a flash flood warning to be specific and state farm the insurance company has posted some tips dealing with the aftermath of flooding and such Submersion of a vehicle in salt water, which is more damaging than fresh water, makes the chances of corrosion much higher. And if that happens, if you're in, let's say, a place where a hurricane comes through and you get salt water in your car, likely you're not going to be in the car if you're getting flooded with salt water, but it could happen somehow. 
And so you're going to have corrosion. Start drying out your vehicle as quickly as possible and contact a towing service to get it back to higher ground. Oil, transmission fluid, and lube may need draining before a tow. File a claim, of course. Your insurance company, along with a qualified mechanic, will uncover how extensive the problem caused by flood damage may be. And one of the things, if you do get a flooding flooding to your car, whether it's salt water or fresh water, regardless of the deal, get an inspection. And among the things I'll be checking for is the oil dipstick, looking for water droplets, which will indicate if there's water in your engine. Remove water-damaged cylinders and check for corroded spots. Need to change the oil and transmission fluid. If the car is not totaled, you'll want to do it again after the car is in good condition and you've been driving it for several hundred miles. Check the interior of your car if it has been in floodwaters. If floodwaters were more than a few feet deep, water probably made it into the inside of your car. You want to remove all the moisture and use a wet dry vac to collect standing water in your vehicle uh, cloth towels to absorb water that's soaked into the seats and carpet and fans and dehumidifiers to accelerate the drying process if you've got water in your car definitely want to check out your electrical components the mechanic might need to replace electrical components if needed check the fuel tank and also the line a siphon pump might be used to remove some fuel in order to see if water is present if water is found in the fuel tank which would naturally separate from the fuel they will empty the fuel tank in it completely. So, yeah, check with your insurance agent. It is a big mess when we have flooding in the southeast, and you see so many times cars, brand-new cars a lot of times. For whatever reason, a lot of car dealers put their lots near creeks and rivers, and those things, they just don't have enough time to get the cars off the lot when a big storm comes through, and you'll see brand-new cars end up being totaled because of flooding and such. But if you are in a car and this happens and you get flood in, flood water in your car, here are some tips thanks to State Farm. Also, it didn't have it in this story. I saw many years ago, most of your auto parts store carry a little tool. And if you ever drive into flood water, especially if you go off a bridge into like a, a lake or a river or, or something pretty deep, they make a tool that you can just put on the side of your window and it will break the window with not much effort. And that could save your life. What you want to do, from what my memory is, there's a great, I think Dateline NBC did this one time. They had cameras all in this car. And they did a test. But you want to actually let the car go all the way down and settle on the bottom. Hopefully it's not too deep. And then as the car becomes totally full, that's when you you actually break the window after the car the water has totally got into the car. I don't know exactly why. I guess it could be more violent, the water rushing in. I hope that's a that's a fear a lot of us have of being stuck in a car that's filled up with water, uh, a nightmare. In fact, I think I probably have just ruined my night's sleep tonight as a result of letting you know about that. But, yeah, there is there is a tool. I don't know what it's called, but you might want to check it out if you're going to have extra space there in your dash pocket of your car stick that thing in there it could end up saving you or someone you know's life if you ever fall fall into a pond and that's i mean i know i knew a guy who did that one time and died uh he actually had a antique car and i guess it lost control and it went into his own pond uh on his own property and he died so yeah, i mean life's crazy you never know what you're gonna happen but 
maybe a couple dollar tool could end up saving your life. Speaking of weather, we are expecting some pretty high temperatures this week as the first heat wave of 2021 is coming and coming quickly. As you can expect some high temperatures, the temperature on May 22nd, which is going to be Saturday, a 90-degree day is forecast for Charlotte on Saturday. Monday of next week, you're going to see a heat wave up along the east coast. Philadelphia is expecting Temperatures around 90. Atlanta also is going to get hot. Atlanta already has had an 86-degree day back in April. So, yeah, check it out if you're going to be going outside soon. You may not expect 90-degree weather here in mid-May, but it actually could be happening to you. Temperatures may even approach 100 degrees in Georgia and South Carolina in the next few days. They're about to have a big golf tournament in Charleston at Kiowa. It could be close to 100 degrees here in May. So be careful. Severe heat going on right now. Right now, we can report that there's already sort of a heat wave going on around Waco, Austin, and San Antonio, Texas, as that area has just seen rain pour through and now heat wave of sort passing through. Check out the National Weather Service for more information about what to do to avoid this heat wave of mid-May. The Navajo Nation has surpassed the Cherokee Nation to become America's largest American Indian tribe. Of course, the Cherokees with a presence in both western North Carolina and then, of course, they've got the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. But the Navajo Nation, the largest landmass of any North American tribe in the country, Navajos clamored to enroll or fix their record as the tribe offered hardship assistant payments from last year's federal coronavirus aid, relief, and economy Security Act, and because of that, the Navajo tribe's roles went from 306,000 to 400,000 Americans call themselves Navajos. Now, the Cherokee Nation had an enrollment of 392,000, and it's been growing as well, according to their spokesperson, Julie Hubbard. The Oklahoma tribe has been receiving about 200 more applications per month from potential enrollees, leaving Navajo's position as the at the top unstable. So yeah, the Cherokees again with a lot of people in the South claiming Cherokee ancestry, a proud ancestry, in not only Oklahoma and North Carolina but scattered throughout the entire country. Frankly, and uh, who knew the Cherokee Nation almost to four hundred thousand, but right now they've been surpassed by the Navajo Nation, primarily from the Four Corners area of the country, with more than four hundred thousand members of the Navajo Nation. Update from Memphis, the Hernando de Soto Bridge inspector has been fired, fired for not flagging the crack in the span, and now we're seeing a surveillance video, drone footage footage of this bridge over the Mississippi River coming in from the last couple of years, and you can see a crack there on that bridge going back a few years. Now, on Tuesday, the governors of both Arkansas and Tennessee met in Memphis to have a press conference, but yes, this director fired from his job because of a lack of, I guess, inspecting correctly. And you don't want to have that happen. The director of the Arkansas Department of Transportation, Lori Tudor, said the inspector fired after drone video showed the crack on the bridge in May of 2019. And Tudor said this is unacceptable. The crack was noted by the inspector in his reports that fall or the falling, I'm sorry, was not noted by this inspector. Therefore, they were fired, and we're just very lucky this thing didn't end up 
making the bridge there in Memphis break completely and people lose their lives on the Interstate 40 bridge over Memphis. But officials still are have, they're still are working hard to figure out when this thing might end up being fixed, but it's going to be several days, weeks, perhaps months. They're working right now at a foundry in Bowling Green, Kentucky, to come up with some kind of part needed to kind of be a Band-Aid, if you will. Elizabeth City, North Carolina, the district attorney there says Andrew Brown Jr.'s death, while tragic, while tragic, was justified. And so, at least for now, there will not be charges on the sheriff's deputies there in that portion of North Carolina for the death of this black man a few weeks back, a death that brought a lot of national coverage to Elizabeth City and to the county there, Pasquotank County. Deputies from Pasquotank County shot and killed Brown earlier in, or rather, I think it was late April was the exact day when that happened. On April 21st was when he was shot and killed outside his Elizabeth City home. And now the district attorney, after several weeks of looking into video and interviews and withstanding an an assault from media, frankly, of, of trying to get him the deputies charged here, saying that the district attorney for the Judicial District 1, that Andrew Womble, the DA, saying that this was justified. Justified because Brown's actions, quote, caused deputies to reasonably believe it was necessary to use force to protect themselves and others. And so for now, the DA not pressing charges there in eastern North Carolina. A former gynecologist in Virginia has been sentenced to 59 years on a fraud conviction. This is a gentleman who, way up in his years, to be honest with you, he's a former gynecologist. Dr. Javid Pervice ordered to pay $18.5 million to insurance companies that covered the procedures. The former Chesapeake, Virginia doctor faced a maximum possible sentence of 475 years for his offenses. He's a 71-year-old former OBGYN found guilty on 52 counts of fraud. The prosecutors argued during his trial that the longtime doctor performed unneeded medical procedures to earn money for lavish lifestyle. And now he is going to jail for probably the rest of his life. As I said, he's 71 years old. The doctor billed private and governmental insurers millions of dollars for irreversible hysterectomies and other procedures that were not medically necessary. Sometimes the doctor would falsely tell his patients they needed the surgeries to avoid cancer. He also billed insurers hundreds of thousands of dollars for diagnostic procedures that he actually did not perform. And this is a bad doctor, ex-gynecologist, now going to jail, 59-year conviction for fraud in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've got more headlines we'll get through on today's Y'all Show, some political news and more. We'll get to that in an hour or two. We'll take a break. When we come back, an update on sports, what happened in the NBA on Tuesday. Also, Jonathan Lifeite will be on later with an ACC report as this Y'all Show on a Wednesday continues on on the show that covers everything Southern. We are Y'all. Stay with us now.
And the Y'all Show back with you here. A little NBA time on the show covering everything Southern. And we had the NBA play-in games taking place on Tuesday, the first round, if you will, of what the NBA is describing as action. And perhaps some of these games might end up having better ratings than even the NBA Finals. Who knows? Especially with the Lakers and Warriors set to tip off here on this Wednesday. On Tuesday, the first game featured in this play-in of the 9 and 10 seeds in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers hosting the Charlotte Hornets. And my goodness, it was a 27-point victory for the home team over the Buzz City Bees. And Charlotte, the season comes to an end for Michael Jordan's team. And the question is, is James Beregno, the coach of the Hornets, going to be retained moving forward? Charlotte ends the season. Although they were the number 10 seed and got a chance to play in this play-in, Hornets 33-39 and 39 on the season. That's not very good. Not good. And so a, a decision MJ's got to make, is he going to retain his coach from the last couple of years? As you saw in the postseason or in the offseason for Charlotte, they did make some pretty good moves. They brought in the guy from the Celtics in, Gordon Hayward, I believe is his name, and also Ball. They drafted him, and he ended up being a fantastic rookie for him here this season. So an improved player roster, but the coaching I don't know if that's the weak weak spot for this franchise or not. And a lot of people would say the ownership is a weak spot as Michael Jordan probably not going to win Owner of the Year awards anytime soon in the association. All right, so the Pacers advance. They're going to take on the Washington Wizards as the Wizards fell to the Celtics 118-100. to Boston now becomes the NBA's seventh seed team in the Eastern Conference in this first play-in we've ever seen. And so Boston advances. Wizards and Pacers get together on the hard court to determine the eighth seed. On this Wednesday lineup of the NBA, You, as I mentioned, you've got the Lakers and Warriors. They'll be getting together. But that follows an all-Southern matchup. In the FedEx Forum in Memphis, the Grizz will be hosting the San Antonio Spurs. And the winner of that one will have to play another game before they get into the so-called real postseason. But that game tips off 6.30 local time in the Bluff City between San Antonio and the Grizzlies. Then you have the Lakers-Warriors tipping off 10 Eastern, 9 Central from Staples Center. And the winner of that will become the seventh seed in the Western Conference. So some Western Conference action here on this 19th day of May. Then on Thursday you'll have that Pacers-Wizards game from Capital One Arena in Washington, and that winner will become the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference and will be making it into the playoffs where the loser of Pacers-Wizards, the season is over. So that is what's going on in this very first play-in scenario of NBA basketball. Some college football news. The Arkansas Razorbacks which are in the news for having the number one college baseball team, but we're actually going to talk a little Razorback football. Sam Pittman has had his contract extended through the 2025 football season. The coach and the school agreeing to restart his five-year, $15 million contract after COVID-19 impacted his first season at the helm. A pretty good first season, by the way, for the Woo Pig Sueys. 
The athletic director confirmed the new deal at a fan event in Harrison, Arkansas, which Pittman was also in attendance for. Great to see these college teams getting out and seeing the fans after not being able to do that. Most of these schools in the month of May and in some portions of June go out, press the flesh, answer all the questions, eat the old chicken, and tell everybody how great they are. And so we're seeing the Hogs do it, and likely your favorite college team is also doing that right now. The contract will essentially roll over now and last through the 2025 season. Arkansas hired Sam Pittman December of 2019. Remember, he had been a line coach at the University of Georgia before coming over to Fayetteville and guiding the Razorbacks. Arkansas went 3-7 and seven in Pittman's first season, ending a 20-game SEC losing streak against Mississippi State. The Razorbacks also beat Mississippi and Tennessee and had three losses by three points or fewer. I said I thought they had a good season. They really started out strong. They got robbed, in my opinion, at the Auburn game where they should I think the refs kind of robbed them if you go back and look. But Arkansas, he brought a confidence, a little swag there, and it helped that they had the former Florida Gator quarterback transfer again and, and guiding them in 2020. But Razorback fans aren't going to put up with a 3-7 and seven too long. They want to turn that into a lot more victories. The 59-year-old coach in his first FBS head coaching position after a long career as an offensive line coach and that included one time being on the Arkansas staff, 2013 to 2015, Pittman was already in Fayetteville on a previous coaching staff. That might have been in the Petrino years that he was there in northwest Arkansas. But congratulations to Coach Sam Pittman of Arkansas getting the extension now through 2025. Former LSU quarterback and current Cincinnati Bengal, Joe Burrow is on track to return as a starter for week one that according to the doctors of the Bengals as Burrow underwent reconstructive left knee surgery in December and according to his doctor in Los Angeles all systems go for the September 12th regular season opener against the Minnesota Vikings the doctor saying that Burrow is ready to start the season it looks like he's doing all the work he worked his tail off and he's been an amazingly mature participant in his recovery he's focused and great to work with. Those are the words of Dr. Neil Curlin Job. It looks like is the name of his doctor in Los Angeles. So Bengals fans and also LSU Tiger fans, get ready for the return of Joe Burrow. Big you-know-what Burrow is ready to go. The great Heisman Trophy winner of 2019, leading his LSU Tigers to a national championship Burrow told the Chris Collinsworth podcast that he expected to be ready for the 2021 opener, and now the doctor working with the Bengals medical staff on his rehabilitation believes that that goal is well within reach. A great young man. We wish him all the best. A gruesome injury that he suffered in the 2020 season early on when his team was playing, I think, the Philadelphia Eagles is the game that he got just absolutely killed in. Joe Burrow, wish him well as he gets back to the gridiron for the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, golf turns its attention to its next major this week. They'll be at Kiowa on the South Carolina coast, about 30 minutes down from Charleston. You've got to go across Johns Island to get to Kiowa, lovely spot of the southeast. 
And CBSSports.com has come out. Kyle Porter has penned an article about his ranking of the top of the field from 1 to 21 at Kiowa Island this week. The likely winners, according to Kyle Porter. What does Mr. Porter have to say about who's going to be taking away the big trophy at Kiowa come Sunday? He's got Jordan Spieth as the likely winner of the 2021 PGA Championship field. Remember, I think this is the only major Jordan Spieth has not won, to his credit. The young Texan has already won the Open Championship. He's won the Masters. I guess he won a U.S. Open. And if he could just get this, it would complete his quadruple crown of victories on the golf course. Roy McIlroy also is high up on the list. Roy's already won at Kiowa, the last major held there. Roy won that about eight years ago. McElroy, is this a Mr. Porter's number two pick to win here in Charleston County this week? Justin Thomas, the former Alabama Crimson Tide golfer, he's high on the list of likely winners for Mr. Porter's article. How about Bryson DeChambeau, your reigning U.S. Open champ? Struggled at the Masters, has been struggling a little bit of late, but DeChambeau picked to be maybe the fourth likely winner of this week's PGA Championship. How about South Carolina native Dustin Johnson, who won the Masters in 2020, didn't do too good in 2021, but Dustin Johnson comes in at number five on this list. Not John Rawl, but John Rahm is in the top ten of likely winners, according to Porter's article. He comes at number six, the Spaniard and former Arizona State Sun Devil. Colin Morikawa, who has won the last PGA Championship out in San Francisco. He is the seventh most likely winner of this championship. How about the, I think he is from uh, either Norway or Denmark, and I should know. He's from one of those countries over there. But he played golf at Oklahoma State. Victor Hovland, I think he's from Denmark, I think. Victor Hovland, a likely winner. Will Zalatoris, remember the guy with the blonde hair? Looked like the kid off of Happy Gilmore. Will Zalatoris, who's not won a major, in fact, I don't think he's won anything, but he came in second at the Masters, and this Texas native right now comes in at number nine on the likely winners of the PGA Championship. Daniel Berger, former Florida State Seminole golfer and a several-time winner of the Memphis Golf Tournament. Berger is at number 10 on this list. Others include Xander Shoffley at 11, Patrick Reed, the Augusta native, checking in at 12, and Masters winner too. Tony Finau, who is yet to win a major, he comes in on here. Scotty Scheffler, the talented Texan, is on the list. Paul Casey, the Englishman. Tyrell Hatton, I think he is from Scotland, I believe. Matt Wallace, a relatively newcomer from England, is on the list. Sam Burns, who's on a tear lately, has picked up his recent win and then came in second this past weekend in the Metroplex. The LSU alumna is right now sitting at number 18 on this list. Keegan Bragley, he's won a major before. He's in here at number 19. Patrick Cantlay at 20. And then lastly, North Carolina native Webb Simpson is on this list from this article at CBSSports.com, written by Kyle Porter of the likely winners of the Kiowa Island PGA Championship taking place this weekend in the Charleston area of South Carolina, the low country. Well, that's a quick look at sports. We're not done with sports talk. We'll take a break. When we come back, our buddy Jonathan Lifeite will be right back here with us. And Jonathan's going to have our ACC report. We'll let you know what's going on in ACC baseball as it winds its season down the final 
weekend of regular season play in ACC baseball is up. Plus, we'll talk a little ACC women's basketball with Jonathan. All that on the show that covers everything Southern. This is y'all. Go State. Welcome back. It is the Y'all Show ACC Spotlight and one Wolfpack women's basketball player getting some good attention nationwide. We'll share that with you. It is our ACC Spotlight. we got Jonathan Leifite of 247sports.com, our Atlantic Coast Conference insider in with us. We'll talk a little ACC football. We'll get to that momentarily some news from the commissioner of the atlantic conference atlantic coast conference jim phillips in the news here recently but jonathan welcome back into the show we have acc baseball to kind of get us going this is jonathan daggummit time just will not slow down this is the final weekend of acc regular season baseball play because all these conferences are going to have their tournament starting next week yeah, it is, and uh, you know, from an ACC perspective, right now you've got Notre Dame on the uh, Atlantic side, which seems to have locked it down. Louisville's kind of uh, the next next team down, and Florida State on the on that side, and then on the coastal side, it's it's uh, looks like Georgia Tech has as uh, uh, much to, much to my uh, glee has uh, gotten pretty close to locking it down uh, on the coastal side. So they look like they'll probably end up being the number two seed. Um, Pitt still has an outside chance at it, but they're going to need the jackets to be swept, and uh, and also uh, they're going to have to do some sweeping themselves. So from that perspective, it looks like those uh, those will be your teams that kind of get getting the, the higher seeds in, in the tournament. And because of the forthcoming tournament in Durham in a few days, most of your ACC teams and most of your conferences shifting the schedule up for this final regular season weekend to be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday type series. So, Jonathan, let's walk through who's on the diamond this weekend in ACC play. you got Virginia and Boston College, Pitt and Wake Forest, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech get together in the Shenandoah Valley. North Carolina will be there taking on Danny Hall's Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in Atlanta, Miami, and Louisville together on the ACC Network this weekend. Duke and Clemson, and then a top 25 matchup, the matchup of the weekend in this final regular season battle of ACC teams. Number 23, NC State, Elliott Avent's team hosting Coach Martin's Florida State Seminoles in Raleigh. What do you think about this last weekend? Uh, it's going to be uh, – I think it's pretty good. I think some of the better matchups, uh, you know, coming in. You mentioned Florida State and NC State. Um, NC State, they were a, a you know a top team coming into the into the into the season. Stumbled early, but they've started to really kind of put it back together and uh, done really well. And uh, and that'll be a good matchup between Florida State and NC State. And then I think the Georgia Tech uh, North Carolina matchup is also pretty good. Uh, Georgia Tech seems to be starting to peak, so uh, but it'll be on the road, so we'll see kind of how that goes. All right. Again, the tournament taking place the following week. We'll be here to kind of get you ready for all of that excitement. 
overall this year, as we've chronicled here on the Y'all Show, ACC in terms of past years, not exactly measuring up, but we have a reason for that. Jonathan, remind people why ACC teams may not be quite as numerous in the top 25 this year. Well, I mean, well, first off, there's a lot of parity in the league, so there's a lot of teams that are very similar. Um, second, I mean, the, the midweek games really wreaked some havoc. The lack of midweek games, I should say, have uh, played a little bit of havoc. And, and you're just starting to see some teams kind of get it sorted out, um, you know, and, try and, and kind of figure it out. I mentioned NC State is one. Uh, when you don't have those midweek games, it's hard to set your weekend rotation to kind of figure out who really are your top pitchers. And so it, it's just taken them a little, little longer to kind of get – get with the program, as it were, and kind of get things set. But you're starting to see some teams emerge. Um, you know, the Atlantic side certainly has four teams of, of note. They'll, I think all four of them will be in, in the tournament, Notre Dame, Florida State, NC State, Louisville. And then on the, uh, on, the, on the coastal side, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and probably Miami are all in. I think after that it's kind of going to be a, a little bit of uh, – it's going to be a little tight. All right, Jonathan, let's move over to a little women's basketball from the ACC, an article out from ESPN about the top 25 players in women's college basketball returning for the forthcoming 21-22 season, and a few ACC players made the cut. One coming in at number nine on this list is Alyssa Cunane from NC State. She is a six-foot-five senior. Jonathan, I've never seen a six-foot-five woman. Am I missing out? Uh well, I mean, yeah, they're, 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 uh, you know, it's just like seeing a six foot one, except they're taller, but <laughs> so you're, you are missing out you know, in some respects. Um, I do recall actually, uh, back in my days at Georgia Tech, we had a six, seven, uh, center named Dolores Boots that played at Georgia Tech. So it's not unprecedented. Um, uh, but, but, uh, Elizabeth Cunane, she, if you had a chance to watch them play at all, um, she could just absolutely take over a game and she was, a big reason that, that NC State was one of the top teams in the country and having her back for another year is just gonna is just going to cement them uh, you know in kind of it in a top position. Well you threw out a Georgia Tech ladies basketball player of yesteryear. How about one you got there at the Institute right now coming in at number twenty on this list and you'll have to help me with the pronunciation Lorelei Kubaj or something like that? Uh Lorelei Kubai. Kubai. Okay. okay, Kubai. She is a six foot four. Oh man, she's short. She's only six <laughs> foot four, and she's a forward for Georgia Tech. Yeah, she was a, a big part of the impetus that got them into the Sweet Sixteen uh, in the uh, in the NCAA tournament, and also um, they had a you know pretty good show. And they ended up, uh, I believe it was uh, third. I can't remember if it was third or fourth in the league uh, this past year, and she was a huge part of that uh, of the reason that they they did that. Um, it will be really good to have her back for another year as well. All right, and she's a native of Turney, Italy, so an Italian playing there for Nell Fortner, and that's a name that we haven't talked about too much on our ACC report, but Fortner in her first year at Georgia Tech, leading this team, as you said, to the Sweet 16, the longtime Auburn coach, comes over to Atlanta and does a great job with Georgia Tech women's basketball in the well, te- te- technically John it was our second season but last year kind of got canceled you know, yeah. as they were coming down the stretch. So. All right, well it seems like yesteryear. All right, Jonathan, another ACC name on here, a 6 foot 5 player again. This is I guess they're growing the ladies taller than I thought these days. 6 foot 5 junior for the Hokies is Elizabeth Kitley and she's been a great force for that program. Yeah, another another case of uh, it, it's the it seems like the, the 
ACC women's teams, uh, as your middle goes, so goes your team. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and she was just another, another good player in the middle. All right, we'll move over from talking about six foot five ladies of ACC women's basketball to a guy who's got not necessarily height to fill, but big shoes to fill. Jim Phillips is the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, taking over that position from John Swafford. And he's in the news because he says he won't decide on college football playoffs expansion until a thorough assessment has been made. Why is he out here talking about this, Jonathan? It's been it's been rumored and, and bandied about that you know they've been considering expansion of that, and I think it's just one of those cases where he's trying to get his his particular uh, position on the matter firmly established before people start speculating that you know he's firmly in favor of or firmly opposed to expansion of the of the playoffs. So I think this is just a case of you'll probably see a lot of such statements from him on various things, um, just so that. Uh, you know, folks can kind of understand where he's positioning himself and, and where the ACC will be positioned. Jonathan, you're a smart guy. I want to ask you, in Jonathan Lifeite's world, how many teams would be in a so-called playoff? Uh, in my world, it'd be eight. Eight. All right. See, in my world, we wouldn't even have a playoff. We would do it the old way and just have a poll. <laughs> and we'd had sometimes we might have split champions. I mean, that's happened, and it's okay. Yeah, you're you're right, but I I just like the uh, I like the notion of it, and I think eight allows enough access to uh, to uh, you know if you have a a team that's kind of outside of the 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 world of Power Five, you know that has a has a really good year. Uh, you can take Central Florida a few years back, but would be a good example of that. Uh, getting eight teams in there will give them access, and then they can prove their metal whether or not they're really worth it. All right. Well, in the history of this. To, uh, I guess go back to 98 with Florida State and Tennessee in that championship, the first BCS championship. Has there been an ACC team kind of left at the altar and not had a chance to compete for a national championship, in your opinion, over these last 23 years? Um, so you can go back that far. Um, yeah, so, so the 99 championship was Florida State and Virginia Tech. So they were in Florida State and Oklahoma. I don't recall really any teams from the ACC that were blatantly kind of should have been there. I mean, you can look at some other conferences, and I think you know most of them have an have have some kind of a have some kind of an argument for for a particular year. But really, the ACC doesn't have that. I don't I don't think there's been any any years where that's happened for the ACC. All right, Jonathan Lifeite, ACC insider, just telling it like it is, and we appreciate your honesty. Hey. The Florida State Seminoles need to get back to those kind of national championship games. And if they don't, well, they'll just keep going through a, a list of coaches. And right now, the Knowles trying to beef up their offense. They're welcoming in a transfer, Jonathan, from the football powerhouse of the Kansas Jayhawks as FSU announcing the addition of Andrew Parchment to the program as a grad transfer. For the Rock Chalk Jayhawkers, he had a total of 1,000 yards receiving, nine touchdowns in two years with Les Miles, the former coach at Kansas. Parchment is a native of Fort Lauderdale. He played at Cypress Bay High School, again, coming south to his native state to finish up his football career for this ACC dynasty, the Florida State Seminoles. Did the FSU football team really need a guy coming in at wide receiver? Was that a position they were pretty bare in? Uh, they need players pretty much everywhere. They uh-huh. they have they have turned over that roster pretty hard. 
And if they can get a playmaker in, then they need to get a playmaker in. And in this case, when you have a thousand yards receiving, especially for a team like Kansas, you're probably a good, pretty good playmaker. So I, I think this was a, a good addition. Uh, Florida State's going to be in the kind of in transition. They obviously uh, Mike Norvell had his first season didn't go quite how they wanted, but uh, he's doing quite well in the recruiting trail. But they're going to need playmakers all over the place, and uh, so this is definitely a, a a really good addition for them speaking of the former memphis coach norvell how much flexibility does he have how much time does norvell have there to right the ship at tallahassee i think he'll probably uh, he'll probably get uh, at least four years um and, and possibly five you know assuming that it doesn't go go better by then um the good news for him is as i mentioned he's been doing really well in the recruiting um his his recruiting class has generally been staying in kind of, I'm going to call it the top five, top 10 uh, territory nationally. And when you do that, well, um, your, your fans are also going to, you know, they know that they've got a big roster turnover to do um, because of of all the turmoil from the Willie Taggart years. Um, They're, they're going to have a little bit more patience than that. Probably even Willie Taggart got um, uh, at Florida state. So I think four years is probably uh, about right. If he doesn't show it at the end of the fourth year, uh, I think he's, you know, it, it kind of depends. If, if it looks like they might can turn the quarter in, in year five, then he'll get it. But if it's trending downward, then, then he may not. Jonathan of 247sports.com, and that is a website that has recruiting covered up big time. So you mentioned FSU and Norvell doing better on the recruiting front. What is Jonathan and 247sports.com their take on recruiting right now as we're mid-May? What are, what's going on recruiting? Who's looking good? Well, I mean, one, one big thing to keep in mind is, is you're going to start to see visits start happening uh, again pretty uh, here real soon. May 31st, the NCAA has dropped kind of the, what I'll call the COVID dead period or whatever the lack of visits. Um, so, so, you know, from that perspective, you got that. Um, if you look at the 24-7 rankings, uh, number one right now uh, is Florida State. I mentioned them doing really, really well. Um, uh, surprisingly, number two is actually Boston College. Uh, but their, their ranking currently is more a function of the numbers that they've got versus the quality of the players that they've got. If you look at kind of the, the average quality that they have, um, it's, it's far below uh, what you see at Florida State and, and Clemson and, and North Carolina and others. Uh, number three, Clemson. Uh, obviously, they're doing quite well. They lead the league right now in the quality per player, uh, but they only have four commits, and they're all really high quality. North Carolina, we mentioned Matt Brown has done done well. Virginia Tech follows them up, uh, and theirs is also a case of, of just the numbers. And then Georgia Tech at number six uh, kind of coming in right now. So uh, if you ask me, this is probably pretty close to how it'll fall. It'll come out with the exception of Boston College. I think Clemson and Florida State are going to battle for the top spot. Uh, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia Tech will probably fall in there. And don't be surprised to see Miami move well up. They're currently sitting at the, in the 11th place, but they only have one commit, um, and you know good and well that they will they will do a good job of, uh, of recruiting. So those will probably be your, kind of your top half of the, of the ACC. With 24-7 sports' kind of hand on what all is going on in college athletics, are we going to have this summer, starting here in just a couple of weeks when everybody's out of school, the high school juniors heading into their senior years, are they going to be able to go onto these college campuses in the ACC and have their traditional camps and seven-on-sevens and all that kind of fun stuff? Um, they will. I'm not sure exactly. I think there's, there's uh, 
you haven't seen a lot scheduled yet because nobody was 100% sure what's going, what's going on. Um, but you'll probably see some of that go on. I know that there also is a lot of satellite camps that go on, and, and, and teams are allowed to attend, I think, up to 10 of those. Um, and so you'll see some of those, some of the smaller schools will host some of that, and you'll see some of the Power Fives attend um, from that perspective. So that is going on. I'm not sure what the plan will be for most schools yet on the, on the, on the traditional camps they have. Um, I do know that several schools in, in you know, Georgia Tech being an example that I, I cover pretty, pretty heavily, they're planning to have, you know, 10 or more double-digit kids on campus pretty much every day in the month of June. Um, so if nothing else, you're going to see a huge amount of unofficial visits to start with. We'll see how the camps kind of shake out. You'll probably see that start to get on the calendar, and you'll see those start to show up in, in July. And then, of course, in August, we'll move to uh, – uh, you know, camp opening for the for the individual teams. All right, Jonathan. Anything else we need to get from you before we say our goodbyes? Uh, ACC uh, media kickoff um, is now scheduled for July 21st and 22nd. They will be having an in-person aspect, but I think there's also going to be an option to cover it uh, remotely. So uh, that's exciting to exciting to see that kind of pop up on the calendar. And where will that be from? Uh, that will be in Charlotte. In Charlotte. All right. ACC kickoff. Exciting. It's coming. It's y'all. And it's our ACC report with Jonathan Leifheit. Have a great rest of your day and thank you for stopping by the Y'all Show. Thank you very much. You guys have a great day yourself. All right. Jonathan Leifheit, everybody, 24 7 Sports. When we come back, Kobe Bennett's going to file a Southern accent on Southern culture. You don't want to miss that. This is y'all. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. In Austin, Texas, Dustin Rhodes, a second-generation wrestling veteran of 32 years, has opened the Rhodes Wrestling Academy. Dustin is the son of the late great American dream, Dusty Rhodes, a true legend amongst the wrestling community whose hard time speech is regarded as one of the greatest wrestling promos ever. Rhodes on KVUE on YouTube. It's all the ins and outs and the reasons why we do things in the ring. The storytelling. I am a storyteller. <laughs> The business is hard, it's ruthless. That ring right there is unforgiving. And if they respect it, and if they step outside the box, if they listen to me, they're going to do great things. I promise you that. Rhodes not only teaches his students the physical acumen required for the business, he also teaches classes in brand trademarking, contract negotiation, and promos, which he introduces by showing hard times. Following in his father's footsteps, Dustin Rhodes hopes to continue the storytelling tradition that wrestling offers into the future. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, thank you very much. Southern accent right here on Y'all, the show covering everything Southern. We have the first hour in the books. We've got a whole other hour of talking about Dixie on our mind, and it's coming your way after this break. Stay tuned. We've got a look at Southern business, including the top 30 places in America to start a business. Which one of those cities are in the Southeast? I'll tell you. Plus, we've got a book report followed and coming at you from Niles Reddick. Niles has penned about four books, and he's got a bunch of things to say about his fellow authors. He'll be in with us. Niles Reddick, Valdosta, Georgia boy. He'll be on in our Southern book report in hour two. Don't miss out on the fun.
said it couldn't be done. They said you, you couldn't sit here and talk for three hours about the South. I mean, the little old South. I mean, gosh, we're all running around here without shoes on and, and just you're just we're just ignorant. Well, guess what? We ain't. We ain't ignorant. And we're gonna sit here for another two hours. We've already got one under the under our belt and we're gonna talk about the South and we're gonna do it with a big old smile and we're gonna come at you with the heat about the hottest part of the freaking country and i mean hot in a couple different ways yeah we told you in our headlines in the hour one of today's y'all show we're going to have close to 100 degree temperatures in some of our southern cities and states here in the next few days and then of course we got a lot of stuff going on speaking of that business news we got some good southern business news coming up in the next segment as part of our regional business report including the top 30 places to start a business and we ain't too dumb down here either. And we've got a really, really big presence nationwide when it comes to books. Niles Reddick is one of those examples. He has penned multiple books. And he'll be on as part of our Southern Book Report, talking about his fellow Southern authors. It's our Book Report of the South, and you're going to ace it. It's Niles Reddick coming up in just a few minutes here on the Y'all Show. Don't miss out on that plus we have a little hashtag hullabaloo this is y'all i'm john rawl rawl y'all y'all and we're excited to have you on if you want to drop us an email and tell us something we need to know about if you want to brag if you've got grandchildren who are doing wonderful things and you just want to let somebody know about it hey we welcome that our number is 803-816-1170 in fact speaking of that email and our our number 803-816-1170 I love in the South our grandparent nicknames, and we have some really creative nicknames for all of our wonderful grandparents. And so if you are a proud grandparent and you're proud of your nickname that you have, your moniker, I want to know about it. I want to find a really cool couple of nicknames for, for, for Granny or Grandpa, and I know they can be more creative than that. And if you have, you think you got one? Let me hear about it, and we'll talk about it on the Y'all Show. 803-816-1170. See, customer service is what we try to do here for all y'all. All right, let's get back into the headlines here as we look across the southeast. Flooding continuing. Louisiana's had at least one death reported from an outbreak of flooding as a storm front moved across the Pelican State and has moved across most of the southeast by now. Governor John Bell Edwards of the Pelican State issuing a emergency here this week, and unfortunately, lives lost in Louisiana after more real, real bad weather has hit that state. Also, the Hernando de Soto Bridge in Memphis, which is the Interstate 40 bridge linking Memphis to West Memphis, Arkansas, the inspector of that bridge has been fired. The Arkansas Department of Transportation Director Lori Tudor said the inspector fired after drone video showed the crack on the bridge was discovered in May of 2019 and called this unacceptable. Tudor said the crack was not noted by the inspector in his reports that fall or in 2019. And the RDOT spokesperson saying from that investigation, they determined the same employee who conducted this Inspection in 2019 and 2020 failed to carry out responsibilities correctly, you, you think? And now this giant bridge over the Mississippi River is going to be shut down for quite some time, and that affects people on Interstate 40. It affects all kinds of business commerce, people commuting back and forth. 
It's one of the two bridges in the Memphis area to get across the Mississippi River. And now one of these two, the Interstate 40 bridge, now going to be out for quite some time. Traffic being diverted to the I-55 bridge three miles south of the Hernando de Soto bridge. It is a 71-year-old Memphis and Arkansas bridge there. And I can't imagine it's a good thing for traffic to be clogged up on that thing but yeah it's a not a pretty time to be going throughout the mid-south right now in fact on tuesday the two governors asia hutchinson and governor bill lee of tennessee teamed up in memphis to talk about the bridge closure and more and good to see these two guys together now the question how did heck did asia hutchinson get over to mississippi get over that mississippi to to tennessee to have this press conference you reckon he he braved the I-55 bridge, or did he get a helicopter ride or a plane ride into Memphis and, and show up for this press conference? I wonder how often he has gone to Memphis in his career, of course. West Memphis is right across the river from from the city of Memphis, and a lot of people go back and forth between the two, two cities. I know a lot of people in downtown Memphis. I lived in downtown Memphis who go shopping at the West Memphis Walmart. It's a really nice Walmart. It, that's back when I used to shop at a place called Walmart, good Arkansas company. But there's no good Walmart really in the city of Memphis. You've got to go, I'm talking downtown area, you either have to go to South Haven in Mississippi or you have to go across. It's easier and faster just to go across over to West Memphis. I never did that. I think I don't think I did a lot of Walmart shopping, frankly, in my Memphis days. I shopped because I guess I didn't want to get in the car and leave. I just figured out if if it wasn't at the Walgreens right there on Main Street in Memphis, it probably wasn't worth having. So I did a lot of shopping at at a Walgreens, which, to their credit, if you haven't tried out some of Walgreens branded products, they've got a really good Walgreens pizza, the kind you put it in your oven and cook. I like it. I haven't had one in a few years, so if y'all want to make me a Walgreens pizza, I'll take it. But pretty good stuff, FYI. See, we tell you things here on the show you might not know about. The North Carolina DA in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, says that he will not press charges against the Pascatank County Sheriff's deputies who killed Andrew Brown Jr. in April. The DA there calling the death of this North Carolina man tragic but justified. No charges going forward from this district attorney in the state of North Carolina after this black man was shot by sheriff's deputies during an arrest back in April. The U.S. Senator from Georgia, one of the two new senators, the freshman Raphael Warnock, asking graduates the other day to guide the country out of what he called COVID-1619, comparing the virus to slavery. Of course, the 1619 Project is a major feature about the impact of slavery on American history today, and it's a rather controversial project that is being taught in some schools, and a lot of people aren't very happy about it, but Senator Raphael Warnock, who before becoming a senator has been a minister. In fact, he was the pastor of the Ebenezer Church where Martin Luther King Jr. was once pastor. Warnock told a group of college graduates at Morehouse University's School of Medicine in Atlanta Saturday that they need to show the country how to get out of what he called the COVID-16-19 project during a speech. Warnock claimed systemic racism as built into America's health care system, the Daily Caller has reported. He also compared COVID-19, the pandemic, to claims made in the 1619 Project about how the New York Times report said the impact of slavery continues on 
America. Here's a quote, according to the Daily Caller, that Warnock said, May this be the class that's going to set new standards for how we deliver care people and reach people who have been traditionally marginalized and forgotten about in our health care system, making sure everyone has great access to health care no matter what they look like, where they live, or how much money they have. Those are the words from Warnock. He went on to say, may this be the class that is going to keep fighting to reverse and dismantle the disparities in our health care system born out of deeply rooted systemic racism. Go forth. Don't just teach us how to make our way out of COVID-19. Teach us how to make our way out of COVID-16-19. Those the words of Raphael Warnock of Georgia speaking to the Morehouse Medicine graduates from this past weekend. Another political story to pass along, a U.S. Congressman Virginia Fox has become the fifth U.S. House member to be fined for failing to pass through the metal detectors on Capitol Hill. Yeah, what's wrong? Why would you not go through there as the congresswoman passed her bag and then ran by police officers to evade security measures? And I've seen this lady's photo. She's not exactly 19 years old. She's rather mature, if you will. The North Carolina representative became the latest Republican to be slapped with a $5,000 fine for evading these metal detectors, which were erected after the January 6th attack on the Capitol by people. I'll just leave it with that. Capitol Police reporting that Fox exited the elevators to access the House floor via for a vote on Thursday, and the 77-year-old North Carolina congressman ran through the magnometer then threw her bag underneath the table and loudly stated she was late for a vote and not slowing down. (laughs) Hold on there, sister. Two officers then raised their hands and said, ma'am, in an attempt to stop Fox, she reportedly ignored the officers and entered the House floor. The report submitted to the House Ethics Committee said the officers then observed Fox while she was in the House chamber to cast her vote. 77-year-old congressman from North Carolina there running to get on that house floor and going right past the metal detectors and more. Virginia Fox outfoxing what she thought was Capitol Police, but in the end they're going to get their 5000 bucks out of her. Chris Christie taking a stab at former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley. He is not happy with his fellow Republican because she deferred to President Trump on whether he's going to run in 2024. Chris Christie calling Nikki Haley's decision weakness and indecision. I didn't think Chris Christie would be so bold to come out and attack her. In fact, I really didn't think he would come out and say anything Trump-related. But, yeah, the former New Jersey governor saying that if, well, Haley asked last month in April if she would support President Trump if he threw his name into the ring for 2024. She said yes, but also made clear that she would not launch a GOP primary bid against him. She said, I would not run if President Trump ran, and I would talk to him about it. She wants to be vice president. Let's just be honest. She wants to be president, but that's that's why she's trying to play nice here. That uh, from Nikki Haley, but Chris Christie saying that what she did was, as he said, weakness and indecision. I guess he wants her to come out and say, heck yeah, I'm running, and Donald Trump doesn't have any place running in 24. That's what it appears Chris Christie 
the New Jersey loudmouth is saying to the South Carolinian. Georgia Little Caesars. Let's go to Georgia. A fight caught on video, and a woman is now wanted for battery at a pizza joint. The fight posted to Twitter and has become viral. And the suspect, Brittany Kennedy, 25 years old, allegedly confronted a victim, Emily Broadwater, at the Little Caesars, pulled a chair out from underneath her, according to the Richmond County Sheriff's Office. This is where you'll find Augusta, Georgia. And now this woman is wanted for battery and the alleged beating of this fellow Little Caesars customer in Augusta. Deputies came to the restaurant Monday afternoon in reference to a fight in progress. Video of the incident shows Kennedy grabbing Broadwater by her hair and punching her repeatedly in the head. At one point, a child with a pink bow appears to grab the victim as someone shouts, Move the baby! Move the baby! And I'd play this for you, but I'm afraid there's going to be some expletives. The footage later shows Miss Kennedy dragging Broadwater out of the front door of the establishment by her hair and throwing her on the ground outside. She then stomps on the victim's head at least two times if you see the video. And now Brittany Kennedy wanted for battery and the assault of another woman at a Little Caesars. Y'all, what's happening in the CSRA at our Little Caesars and assaults there? Were they mad that the last $5 pizza had been taken. Don't get angry at other customers there. Don't get angry, Brittany Kennedy, at the customer if that's the case. Get mad at the people, but don't go (laughs) get mad at the workers there. You know what chances are? Little Caesars, just like every other restaurant across the country right now, I won't say every, most restaurants around the country right now, there's probably a good chance they're having a hard time staffing the place. It, probably a hard time keeping qualified employees coming into work, and that's why maybe they got behind on making those $5. They call, Don't they call them $5 Phillips, or am I mistaken that with another restaurant? you got to give Little Caesars credit. Little Caesars, they, uh, that Michigan company's done a good job of making pizza pretty quick and pretty pretty cheap, too. We have more information from across the Southeast. We aim to educate and inform and entertain when we can as well here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we'll switch over to give you a little business news about the Southeast, including the top 30 places to start a business in the good old U.S. of A. That's coming up. Also, Niles Reddick will be on to talk books with us later this hour. This is Y'all. Couldn't even pronounce We were smoking a little From a half an ounce Tequila was cheap But the flow we were feeling was real Neither one of us looking For three little words Unless those three words Were do not disturb Check out was supposed to be noon But we slept until three She kept the hotel key Slipped it in a purse I guess It makes her think of me And that night we left Our hearts on the sleeves And the clothes all over the floor little old dominion here on a wednesday they announced on tuesday they're going to be hitting the country on a stadium tour mostly at 
baseball parks. I think they get going in Jackson, Tennessee. At least that's where they announced they would be there at the ballpark at Jackson to get things going. Check out Old Dominion's website for more info as that great country band with its roots in the Old Dominion state of Virginia. And that great song from a few years back, Hotel Key. This is y'all, John Rawl, talking now business instead of music. And we have our Southern Business Report coming up. We're going to tell you about some of the best cities to start a business in. But we start out here with some news about retail results. So far, people are indeed starting to get out of the house and do a little shopping. And Walmart reporting that teeth whitener is what customers are going crazy over right now. So once it was toilet paper, and now it's teeth whitener. And you know what? True confession. I actually just spent a fair amount of money on teeth whitener, but I didn't get it at Wally World. I got it at my dentist when I went in there. The lady there did a good job of selling it to me, and it wasn't cheap. And I don't think all teeth whiteners are made the same, but Walmart saying that those sales of teeth whiteners are going off the shelves, as well as travel items. People want to get out and show their teeth, and they want to travel yeah, also some of the other items selling well, luggage, men's tailored clothing, and dressy sandals. The newly vaccinated shoppers are emerging from homes, going out again. A lot of optimism. The CEO of Walmart, Doug McMillan, saying, Our optimism is higher than it was at the beginning of the year. In the U.S., customers clearly want to get out and shop. The CEO of Macy's, Jeff Jeanette, told analysts on the earnings call on Tuesday that shoppers feel more emboldened to shop. Clearly, he said, our customer is ready to get on with life. We don't see this as a short-term pop. Now, Home Depot, which never struggled, in my opinion, during the coronavirus, it is the nation's largest home improvement chain based out of Atlanta. They delivered stellar results to their stockholders on Tuesday, showing that an overcharged housing market continues to keep aisles full as the company reported sales that blew past Wall Street expectations. Walmart, Home Depot, the big stores, all doing very well. Sales at stores at Walmart opened at least a year, rose 6%, slowing from the 86 increase during the fiscal fourth quarter, and on top of last year's 10% spike, Walmart bumped up spending by $14 billion to speed up its distribution network. So not doing bad at all. Walmart, and they've got Walmart Plus also available. Macy's said that net income hit $103 million after massive losses during the same period in 2020. Revenue of $4.71 billion exceeded analyst projection at Macy's. Home Depot sales hit nearly $38 billion. That's up 33% from last year and far better than analyst projections of $35 billion. So almost $3 billion more at Home Depot. I'm telling you, we're doing good in some fronts. Some other fronts, we're just, it just doesn't make any sense. Here's one of those examples. Home construction. Article out now, U.S. home construction falling by a surprise 9.5% in the month of April. Yeah, it's hard to get the materials. Costs are way up, and and I don't know where, when or where we're going to see changes happen. Home construction falling by 9.5% in April, as economists attributed that partially to builders who delayed projects because of a surge in lumber prices and other 
supply constraints. The decline in April left construction at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.57 million units. The Commerce Department announced this on Tuesday. That was down from a rate of 1.73 million units in March. As applications for building permits considered a sign of future growth and rises of growth, that only rose 0.3% in April to an annual rate of 1.76 million units. So, yeah, the home industry right now taking it on the chin. And the real estate market also, just not enough homes out there for the realtors to go out and show. And I feel sorry for you because normally realtors are have to often market themselves because there's so many homes. They're trying to get the consumer to let them know, hey, I can help you with your home because there's a million other realtors out here for a million other homes to buy. Now there's so many realtors and so few homes. Rough deal. We'll hopefully get that changed real soon. Amazon is going to extend its pause on the police use of facial recognition. The company says it will extend its ban on police use of its face recognition technology beyond the one-year pause it announced in 2020. Amazon, not necessarily a good thing if you're a law enforcement person looking to maybe use their technology to help solve some criminal cases and more. In June of 2020, Amazon announced it would pause police use of its facial recognition technology, a move coming at a time of nationwide protest and renewed focus on racial injustice. Microsoft and IBM also paused sales of their software to police around the same time in 2020, though most police departments look to lesser-known firms for facial recognition technology. Hmm, that's a, a weird story that surely they didn't get pressured from the social justice causes to cause that you think? All right, let's talk about a promotion for two women at J.P. Morgan. One of these women, a Southern lady, J.P. Morgan Chase, will promote these women to jointly manage the bank's consumer finance division, potentially signaling that a woman may eventually run the nation's biggest bank. Did you know that J.P. Morgan Chase and Company is the nation's biggest bank? It is, and the bank announcing that Marianne Lake, who was J.P. Morgan's chief financial officer for several years until recently, will be its current will be promoted. And who is Marianne Lake? Well, here is the background on this Southern lady. She is from Cumberland, Maryland, born in 1969. And she was educated at the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. And again, CEO of Consumer Lending at J.P. Morgan Chase. She was a CFO at J.P. Morgan Chase prior to this promotion and more, and she has emphasized the company's role as a technological innovator. Marianne Lake, congratulations, the Maryland native now moving up at J.P. Morgan Chase. Also, CFO Jennifer Peepsack will become co-CEO. They're both going to be co-CEOs of the consumer banking business at J.P. Morgan Chase and company. Congratulations to these business, savvy business ladies out there. All right. If you're a Texan, you have you, you, you didn't have to file this week. You have until June 15th to file your taxes. Hopefully everybody got their taxes done by Monday of this week. Now Texas, because of the snowpocalypse, winter apocalypse, if you will, back in February, you were extended until June 15th to file your income tax. So a two-month grace period, 
added for Texans and enjoy the extra time to get that done as so many Texans back in February lost power and more. IRS granting them an extra month on top of what the rest of the country had until this week. All right. The 2021 Best and Worst Places to Start a Career. This is an article out from Wallet Hub. And if you're looking to start a career, where do you need to go? Well, these are the best and place best and worst places, according to Wallet Hub, for you to go. And according to the findings, the cities to start a career, the best city in the country is Salt Lake City. Getting nearly a 70 on this score of best cities to start. Other cities in the south on this list. Orlando comes in at two. Atlanta, three. Austin, Texas, four. Whoop, whoop. Columbia, South Carolina, five. And Charleston is six. So two South Carolina cities on this list of cities to start a career in. Seattle, Washington, seven. I don't know why anybody would go there to start a business, but it's seven. Durham, North Carolina is nine. Tampa comes in at 13. Knoxville, Tennessee, 14 in this list. Raleigh, the capital of the Old North State, is 17 on this list. Madison County, Alabama's Huntsville is a great place to start a career. It comes in at number 18. Richmond, Virginia, capital city of the Old Dominion State, is at 23 on this list. Birmingham, Magic City, at number 26. St. Pete in Florida is at 27. Irving, Texas in the Dallas area is 28. The city of Nashville, Music City, comes in at 29. The Queen City of Charlotte is 30. And Jacksonville, Florida, the 35th best city to start a career in. St. Louis comes in at 37. And uh, I'll just do the top 40 here. Kansas City is 39th. Chattanooga is your 40th best city to start a career in, according to WalletHub.com. And I'll, just for fun, tell you a few of the worst cities to start a career in. Newark, New Jersey is dead last on this city of, list of cities of 182 cities in the country. Hialeah, Florida is 181. And Pembroke Pines, Florida, 177, best city to start a city in. And uh, I'll leave it with Columbus, Georgia. I don't know why they hate Columbus. Columbus, Georgia, the 176th city in the country to start a business or start a career in, according to Wallet Hub. I, I object to this, at least on some of those who aren't doing too good there at the bottom of the list. That again, according to Wallet Hub, if you want to take up a fight, take it up with the folks at Wallet Hub, not y'all.com. Well, we will move on from talking about business here on the Y'all Show to talking about books when we come back. Niles Reddick will be our special guest. Niles has authored several books. We'll talk to this author about his own collection of reads, but also. We'll get Niles' take on the current list of New York Times bestsellers. That is up next. Y'all Show Wednesday continues on.
It's the Y'all Show, and that a good South Georgia fellow there, Red Akins, Valdosta, the hometown of Mr. Akins, and a big song from him back in the mid-1990s. We're not going to talk music right now. We're going to talk books, and we're joined here on the Y'all Show by Niles Reddick, who's authored several books. We'll get into that. But Niles, you know a little bit about Valdosta, Georgia? Just a little bit. Yeah, that's your home area. <laughs> Valdosta State alumnus. Great place. Go Blazers. And... I don't, did you ever run into Red Akins? No, I didn't. You know his people? Probably related to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Niles is in to talk about books and more as he, again, has authored several books of his own. But we're going to talk about those books out right now. How about John Grisham? He is doing well. Got a new book out. How does he keep doing what he does? I don't know, but everything, you know, Grisham's on the top ten uh, bestseller list. Stephen King's on the list. I mean, these guys are remarkable writers and just about anything they touch really does turn to gold on the bestseller list. Um, I'm looking forward to reading both of them this summer. Suli is the number three book this week from John Grisham, the West Memphis, I think, slash Oxford slash Charlottesville author, John Grisham. And he does a little bit of a different twist with this book. It's about a Gentleman from Africa receiving a basketball scholarship to a historically black college in North Carolina, North Carolina Central. That's a little bit of a different twist for John Grisham. It, it is. And what's it like, I guess, writing about higher education, as he does evidently in this book? Yeah, I think he. I think it'll be a um, an excellent read. Okay. Well, most things uh, he does, he's yeah, he he's does. gotten out of the criminal uh thriller type book before i know he wrote something about his little league baseball team one time yeah but he'll still bring some of that thriller kind of magic to this story i believe all right that is out right now john grisham it's number three what else is up there right now on the well stephen king has uh a new one that's out um and there are several actually on here uh on the list right now um, but I'm looking forward to Stephen King's book. Uh, the title of that one, I'm trying to find it, is called Later. Uh, it's titled Later. A New York Police Department detective asked the son of a struggling single mother to use his unnatural ability to track a killer. Um, and you know Stephen King. That'll be a, a definite uh, great book to read, and then it'll be a film later mm-hmm. as you, will grisham's yeah are you a fan of stephen king's work you know the early stuff like cujo and some of those really frightening things were just not my cup of tea um but i have you know friends and relatives who love reading his stuff but then i did enjoy uh some of his things like the green mile i think stand by um what was it called stand i'm thinking of the tammy wynette song stand by, stand your, by man. your man uh, but it's Stand By Me. Stand By Me okay. was a um, a phenomenal film based on a short story by King. But The Green Mile, I think, is one of his absolute bests. Um, the Green Mile was about the um, John Coffey, the criminal who Walking the mile. Yeah. Walking the green mile. Awesome film. Oh, yeah. Absolutely awesome. Filmed in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. So that is a Stephen King book out. If, and how often – I mean, Grisham almost has like – you can look at the calendar and predict when his books come out. What's, yeah. the, what's the rhythm with King? Uh, King is doing multiple things. Um, and usually he has more than one thing come out at a time. 
uh, maybe a story, maybe a film, uh, maybe a novel. Uh, but they're they're both extremely talented fellows. We're talking with Niles Reddick. His website is nilesreddick.com. He's had a couple of books out. He's been published in the Saturday Evening Post and more. Learn more about him at nilesreddick.com and find out about this great Georgia writer. But he's also a, a student of writing and such, and that's why we have him on right now talking about his fellow writers. What else we have on the top ten or bestsellers now? Well, Where the Crawdads Sing uh, is a hot, hot book. Uh, it's number five on the list. It's 129 weeks on the bestseller list. You just don't see books like that uh, stay on the list. And I'm ashamed to say I have not read that yet uh, by Delia Owens. Uh, my wife has read it and absolutely loved it. And it's sitting in my to-read pile by my lamp. So it's on my list for the summer. Um, it's about a quiet town on the North Carolina coast in the 60s. A young woman who survived alone in the marsh becomes a murder suspect. So it should be a good one. All right. Dear Owens, again, that thing's been on there two to three years almost, and yeah. that's being currently turned into a movie, and she's got the North Carolina connection, Delia Owens. A great read. If you haven't read it, Niles, read that thing. Yeah, and she was, I think this was her first book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she, I think, had been like a researcher or yeah, something like that. she was like a researcher. In mm-hmm. Africa. I think mm-hmm. I'm right on that. And then, so it's never too late to write a book. Never How old too, were you when you wrote your first read? Ne- never too late. Um, I started writing when I was very young. Um, and it also proves to you that after, say, 30 years of doing this, that you know, I'm not on the bestseller list. <laughs> you know, that that is a funnel experience that very few people make it through mm-hmm. uh, the funnel. I've been very um, blessed to uh, be a good writer of stories and to publish over 400 stories um, all over the world. Yes, including some at y'all.com. Yep. Niles Books, if you're wanting to go get somebody the perfect Father's Day gift, you've got a couple of books well worth a read, and read them anytime. Lead Me Home, that came out some 10 years ago. A quintessential Southern novel is how this has been described. Lead Me Home, you've got Drifting Too Far From the Shore, which is a song that has a a connection to an old gospel song. Yeah, and uh, several people have recorded that song. Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner, uh, Emmylou Harris, Hank Williams recorded it. I love his version, of course. I loved all of his songs. Yeah, Drifting Too Far From the Shore, that came out in 2016. And then you have Roadkill Art and Other Oddities. Your aunt inspired you on that one. (laughs) She did. And that's a collection of 21 stories. And then the uh, last book I did was Reading the Coffee Grounds, which is also a collection of stories. And I'll have a new one out next year called Who's Going to Pray for Me Now? (laughs) Uh, I like that one. Yeah, I love the title. So tell me, what is the easiest, best way for people to find Niles Reddick's books? Uh, Well, they're on Amazon. They're on uh, Barnes & Noble. They're all all over the place and on my website. So any of the, you can just Google my name and it brings up pages and pages and pages. of. And his name is N-I-L-E-S-R-E-D-D-I-C-K. And yes, there is a relation to a certain race car driver. Tyler. Yes. Distant, but still distant. And, and Josh who plays baseball for Houston. How about that? A talented family. Man, I wish I would have been born. Feels dry. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) 
Hey, what else we got on our bestsellers besides your books, which ought to be back on the bestseller list? Uh, what else we got? Uh, there's a new one out that's new this week, um, and the, there are three out this week. Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, um, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave, and then 21st Birthday by James Patterson and Maxine Petro. All of those should be good reads. Patterson often teams up with other writers. Have you ever done that? Have you teamed up with another writer to write a book? I have not teamed up to write a book. I have, however, teamed up to write some stories. Um, And that's an interesting thing to do. Um, You have to really put aside your egos uh, to work together and collaborate and come up with something. But a lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. If you had to write with someone... What's the one thing you're willing to delegate and not necessarily do as part of a book, right? You know, one thing that's very difficult to do, I think, is to read and edit. Edit is probably the hardest part of the writing process for me, um, especially when it means cutting out things um, and shrinking things. Um, I hate to do that. Um, So I would love to delegate that to someone else. When you sit down to write a book, do you kind of have – the length of the book in mind when you first get going or no i just know that you know for it to be considered for publication you know if it's 150 pages or more it'll probably be considered um and so you have to you know some people are verbose and write tons of page like four or five hundred pages and some people write a couple of hundred i'm probably a minimalist when it comes to books. Mine are usually not over 200. Gosh. Niles Reddick is with us. Niles Reddick, a prolific writer, not only of books, but also got all these stories you've penned for websites and just all over the world you'll find Niles Reddick's work. And this is a guy who actually has a full-time job Monday through Friday. He is not a writer in the so-called daytime hours. So you get up early and you go into the office and you work on this stuff before the sun even comes up. Yeah, I, you know, or on weekends, you know, I do it in my spare time. I, For example, I wrote two stories this weekend, um, and I edited them on Monday morning at 6 a.m. when I got into my office, and I sent them out yesterday morning <laughs> when I got into my office at 6 a.m. So I'm just, I get up early. I usually get up at 3.30, 4 o'clock, um, And I read then, and I write then. How about that? So if you have the excuse of, I just don't have time, well, Niles Reddick is telling you, you actually might have time. You might have to cut back an hour of your sleep every day, but (laughs) it it can be done, and you have done it. Mm -hmm. And if you hadn't had that kind of routine, you wouldn't have had this array of books to your credit. It's an annoying routine to family. Um, oh, and yeah, it, by the way, he is married with kids. Yeah, and it was an annoying routine for me in college when my roommates in the dorm, when I woke up at 4 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but they yeah, still I think I'd have been looking for a different roommate if I were your roommate. But no, that's fine. As You probably, well, back in the day, you didn't have a word processor. You probably had to be on the typewriter typing yeah, away, right? Yeah, it was a ty- brother typewriter. I had a little brother <laughs> yeah, typewriter. I believe I'd been looking for a different roommate. Niles Reddick, again, you can find his work at Amazon.com. Any other books that we missed out on on the no. bestsellers? Okay, yeah. we covered it all. Yeah. And it's great to catch up with Niles, and we look forward to doing this again. Again, great reads out there. 
maybe Niles, when you're are you going to go to the beach this year? I don't know. You don't know? Did you go last year? Uh, I, I, I did. I went in the spring. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. earlier this I, year. I was just going to suggest, if you're looking for a good read, in addition to Niles Reddick's great reads out there for the beach chair, check out these reads from people like James Patterson, Delia Owens, John Grisham, and more. Our Southern Book Showcase, courtesy of Niles Reddick, Ph.D. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you you stopping by the Y'all Show and having a good book conversation with us. When we come back on the Y'all Show, more of the show about the South is going to be with us, so don't miss out on the fun and go get you that book right now. Well, we've come to the end of Hour 2 on today's Y'all Show. If you enjoyed that, great news. We've got another hour. Hour 3 of Talk About the South is headed your way. Don't miss out on the fun. Hashtag Hullabaloo's coming up. A very weird thing for me to discover while on social media Wednesday night or Tuesday night. I'll tell you about that. And also, we've got more headlines from across the South. All that, you don't want to miss out on the fun. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on. Covering the South, this is y'all, John Rawl, in on a Wednesday, Hour 3. Good to have everybody back for another fun-filled 60 minutes of deep discussion about Dixie. Hey, I think I got all that in. Yeah, I sure did. Thank you for being a part of the show. We are powered by y'all.com, the South's official homepage. Go there now for great y'all show interviews that you can watch we can you can see yours truly in action i know that's what you've been wanting to do go check it out also other good content posted there on the home page of the south y'all y-a-l-l dot com is where you can go for all that you can connect to us here at y'all our number 803-816-1170 our email address mail m-a-i-l at y'all M-A-I-L at Y-A-L-L dot com. It is the best way for you to reach out to us and let us know what's going on because we like to be the South's ambassador. We're the official ambassador to the UN for the South. We are y'all. And uh, good to have you back here for this last hour. It's been a great show. We got more coming this week. We got good shows Thursday. We got golf to talk about. PGA Championship taking place. Teeing off Thursday from Kiowa Island in South Carolina. We'll have a expert on golf, Jason Null. He's our y'all.com golf insider. He'll be on to get us ready for Kiowa, the ocean course there in Charleston County, South Carolina. The low country. So we'll have golf to talk about, college baseball, movies, and so much more. We got it right here on y'all. And we also here on the show that covers everything Southern, we have our Facebook page. We got to tell y'all about that. It's y'all on Facebook, y'all.com. Check it out. Like it, subscribe, 
and we actually will keep you posted on our interviews if you go like us on our Facebook page of y'all.com. Right now, if you go on that page, you might see some fun stuff. You might want to share it with us. We encourage that. That's why we have here on this segment of the Y'all Show, hashtag hullabaloo, where we go on social media and find people talking about the South. And what do we do? Well, we're the original social media here, y'all. We we just kind of gossip about what people say on social media. Kind of a good trade, don't you think? I, I think so. So let's go to social media and talk about weird in a good kind of way weird so tuesday night i'm looking on twitter and i find a tweet from someone called i am indeed at i underscore am am underscore i n d e e d i am indeed and this person in their profile says they're all things books they got reviews, audio reviews, talk about editing, lover of the written and spoken word. I am indeed. So what caught my eye was what they were saying about a book that I was just talking on Tuesday with a fella about this author of the book, Penelope Lemon, Game On. And the author is Inman Majors. Now, why was I talking at lunch Tuesday about Inman Majors? Well, it was Inman Majors that introduced me to our guest from Hour 2, Niles Reddick, who has written multiple books himself. And lo and behold, at lunch on Tuesday, I mentioned to Niles, have you heard from Inman? And we talked about Inman Majors, the Charlottesville area writer, professor at James Madison University, written a bunch of good stuff, nephew of Johnny Majors, who we lost in 2020, great football coach at the University of Tennessee, and Pitt, and Inman Majors, a friend of mine, a friend of Niles. And we were talking about him at lunch Tuesday, and then, lo and behold, I get on social media, and popping up on Twitter, totally unexpected, was a tweet about Inman Majors' latest book. Penelope Lemon Game On. I'm going to tell you about Inman, and I'm going to tell you some sad information about Inman Majors if you haven't heard in the last 18 months about this native of the Nashville area. But his latest book, Penelope Lemon Game On. So Inman Majors is a guy who's written a bunch of books, mostly humorous, I would say, and that's what Game On is. Twice-divorced Penelope is far too old to be a waitress in a denim miniskirt and cowboy boots. Living in her mother and stepfather's house with her young son and trying to repair her life, if you asked her friends, you'd hear that she is in need of a timeout from men. Her choices are pretty horrible, and she's aware of her attraction for the weird and unusual. In fact, most of her memories about her second husband, James, revolve around his insecurities about his lack of coordination or athletic ability and his seduction technique that mainly involved a bright yellow short kimono-style robe. Okay, that's a little bit of the intro on Penelope Lemon Game On by Inman Majors. And this is set in a small Virginia town is where this book is set in. It's a, it's a fun read, and it came out 2019, I think, is when Penelope Lemon Game On was first released by this author, Inman Majors. Now, why did I say that something sad's been going on about Inman in about the last 18 months? 
Again, Inman comes from the famous Majors football family. His father played football at Florida State with Burt Reynolds. Inman has told me about, as a child, Burt Reynolds stopping by their Nashville home and hanging out with his dad and his family. I've seen the picture of Inman Majors there in Nashville. With How, how about Burt Reynolds dropping by to say hello? That's, that's kind of a cool story. Inman Majors, sadly, had a daughter named Tessa Majors. And she went to school when she got out of high school in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, went to go to Bernard College. That's part of Columbia University in the city of New York. And it was his daughter, Tessa, that was killed on December 11th of 2019. She was an 18-year-old student at Bernard, attacked by three teenagers as part of a robbery. And an assailant stabbed Inman's daughter multiple times, killing her. One of the subjects was a 13-year-old ultimately arrested and charged with felony murder. Two months later, two 14-year-old suspects also charged with murder. On June 3rd of last year, 13-year-old pleaded guilty in family court to robbery for the first degree. Trial dates in adult court have not yet been set for the suspects who were 14 at the time of this murder. But that was Inman's daughter, Tessa Majors, and she was killed. This was a big story prior to the pandemic breaking out. In fact, New York Magazine called the murder of Tessa Majors a defining once-in-a-generation crime for the city of New York and its citizens. Big story. It got overlooked by coronavirus, overlooked by the impeachment trial. But I remember seeing this. I, I actually was at lunch the day this was announced, the day after she was killed, which would have been December 12th of 2019. It was Niles who was at lunch with me on that day back in 2019. He said, have you heard about Inman? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was his daughter, who a a freshman at the prestigious Barnard College of Columbia University, murdered by three teenagers. One was 13. uh, The other two were 14-year-olds killing this Ivy League student in New York City. A horrible thing that happened, and I am very sorry for my friend, I emailed him last night and told him that that uh, Niles and I had gone to lunch and also told him that we were very sorry about the death of his daughter, the murder of his daughter, and uh, we wish him the best, and hopefully we can talk to him soon, and maybe we could even get him on the Y'all Show. So we wish the Majors family, they've had a rough, a rough couple of years with the death of Inman's daughter, Tessa, and then Johnny Majors died in 2020, and he was kind of a – a spokesperson, if you will, of that family because he was the legendary football coach for the University of Tennessee and a a Franklin County, Tennessee native, Johnny Majors. But, yes, uh, good to catch up with Niles. Unfortunately, it reminded us of this murder of our friend Inman and his daughter Tessa, who was killed on December 11th of 2019. Another tweet coming in, hashtag whole blue. This comes to us from Welcome to the Light at William 38310979. I don't know if that's his birthday or not. Could be in a, a zip code. I'm not sure where in the world he came up with that long Twitter handle, but Welcome to the Light. As his profile says, born way past my time, the 19th century looks better all of the time, independently wealthy. Well, I'm envious of two things you just wrote there, Welcome to the Light. Yeah, the 19th century does look better each and every day, especially when we're losing our chance to go out and get affordable gas. We can't buy lumber. 
just get me a horse and a two-acre plot of land and get me um, – I'd like a companion. It could even be a dog. And I could go back and live in the 19th century. This time, though, maybe I would lead the South to a victory instead of what happened in the 19th century, the, the, the first time we had a 19th century. And, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea there from this guy going back to the 19th century sounds better all the time. And he said he's also independently wealthy. Now, I'm more jealous of that. I, I would like to have included myself in that category. But if you're independently wealthy, welcome to the light. Or if you're listening to me right now and you're independently wealthy, I'm going to pat you on the, on the buttocks. Congratulations. I'm envious. A lot of us are very envious. There's no better way to be than independently wealthy. And you don't have to worry about these crazy things that a lot of us have to worry about, you know, like uh, putting on our work clothes and going into an office every day or having to go out and cut the grass because if you're independently wealthy, you probably got somebody you can call up and come do it for you. Welcome to the light. Besides announcing their wealth and how they want to go back in time, they announce here on Twitter, no, I ain't hashtag got milk. What I got is a southern border crisis, pending inflation, woke indoctrination of our children, a weak foreign policy, unwarranted mass mandates, disrupted oil flow, men and women's sports, Democrat support of Iran and Hamas, weakened law enforcement, etc. Well, welcome to the light. You're covering a lot there. And yeah, I could see why maybe the 19th century is looking better all the time. And is your independent wealth status helping out right now, if that's indeed the case? So going back over these things, he doesn't have milk, but what he's got is a southern border crisis, which we know from what happened with this new administration coming in in January, there was a big run to the border, and there's a lot of people trying to get in right now to the country, and without a border wall, you've seen this crisis grow and grow and grow and metastasize, and I don't know when or if it's going to slow down. So he's right on that. Pending inflation, it looks like it could be. That's what the experts are saying. I'm not an economist, so I can't weigh in too much on that. Woke indoctrination of our children, I would say that's definitely happening out there, and that could make you want to go back to the 19th century. A weak foreign policy, weak, I won't say if that is indeed the case. We've got to give the Biden administration a chance to get their policy in place after only a few months on the job, but we saw what happened in Alaska when the Chinese essentially verbally attacked Blinken, the Secretary of State, and embarrassed the country when that happened, being lectured essentially by China. So that is something that could make you want to go back to the 19th century. Now, this next one, unwarranted mass mandates, that seems to be lifting. So welcome to the light. You know, maybe that, that one's a little bit outdated. Disrupted oil flow. Well, that happened. It looks like that might be fixed now. And maybe our gas prices will get back to normal. So we'll, we'll not focus in on that one too much. Now, this next one, that makes you want to go back to the 20th century on this one, not the 19th century. Men and women's sports. I mean, come on. What's going on? Why would women want to have a transgendered male come and compete against them? I, I mean, I'm not a woman. I'm not a women's athlete. But it just, to me, doesn't seem very fair. There is a difference between a man and a woman and the way you were hatched, if you will. Democrat support of Iran and Hamas, 
Yeah, that seems to be definitely the case. Not necessarily support, but they're giving financial support to Iran. I don't know what's going on with Hamas. And weakened law enforcement, that's been in the news. Chances are that there will continue to be conflict, verbal conflict at least, between some of the people on one side of the aisle versus law enforcement. We can only hope for the best. But welcome to the light on Twitter at William3831097979. Sound off, and you did. And it looks like you might be heading back to the 19th century any day now. Thank you for sharing. Taste, let's let's talk a little food. Y'all want to talk some food here on today's Y'all Show? I think we should right here on hashtag Huddleballoo. And I got to give mad props to this website. I need to have somebody from this website come on to Y'all Show sometime and tell us how they do what they do. Taste of the South is the website at Taste Mag. They preserve the past and celebrate the future of Southern food. They have recipes galore. I am a fan. Taste of the South. Check it out. All right. Their latest tweet that caught my eye, and I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you the ingredients. So go ahead. While I'm sitting here bragging on Taste of the South, get your pen and paper out. Get ready to write down the ingredients for this latest recipe they posted. All right. Their statement about this recipe, no need for frills when it comes to this classic peach pie. And they got the link right there at at Taste Mag on Twitter. But you can go to Taste of the South magazine online and get this recipe and a lot more. It's a classic peach pie recipe, an easy baking, easy recipe for you, for y'all. So I'm not going to give you the instructions on this particular dish. I'm just going to give you what is in classic peach pie. It yields a nine-inch pie, okay? So that ought to fill you up for at least one meal, hopefully more. But if it's good, it might be your only thing you eat at a given setting, okay? Classic peach pie's ingredients. you got to have a crust. They're not asking you to make a homemade crust. I guess you can go buy a pie crust at your local grocery store. Maybe even Dollar General's got pie crust. I haven't checked that out lately. Yeah, get you a crust. The next thing, you need four cups of all-purpose flour. A half cup of sugar goes into a classic peach pie. A half teaspoon of kosher salt is in the classic peach pie recipe. Three-quarter cup of cold, unsalted butter that's cubed is in this recipe. Three-quarter cup of ice water. You need filling. You need eight cups peeled and sliced fresh peaches. Peeled and sliced. That means if you got to peel them, that means it's a fresh peach. That means it ain't coming out of the can. That means this recipe you might want to put off to the side and wait till you start getting those beautifully fresh-picked peaches in from the summertime into your local grocery store or produce market. Eight cups, because you're going to have to have eight of them, eight cups of peeled, then sliced fresh peaches. And it ain't peach pie unless you got sugar. You got to have a cup of sugar in this particular recipe. You got to have a quarter cup of cornstarch, two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice, a teaspoon of almond extract, a teaspoon of kosher salt, a half teaspoon ground cinnamon, a half teaspoon of ground cardamom, 
what the heck is that? I'm going to have to look that up. And a large egg that's lightly beaten. All right, that goes into classic peach pie, which will yield a nine-inch peach pie. Perfect summertime treat, perfect recipe, and we're just glad here on the Y'all Show to tell you about that. What is cardamom? It is the aromatic, aromatic seeds of a plant of the ginger family used as a spice and also medicinally. So that is what that is. And I don't think I'd ever seen that before because I've never made this recipe. I'm just telling you about it. The classic peach pie recipe. Again, this is posted at Taste of the South. Peach pie in the South, at least in the summer, I think that's better than apple pie. Maybe not as patriotic, but it's definitely a Southern patriotic feeling you get when you have the classic peach pie. And you can go get the ingredients that I just said at Taste of the South, but they have the instructions, and I'm not going to bore you with all the instructions. But recapping, flour, salt, butter, water. you got to have eight cups of peaches. you got to have cornstarch. you got to have cinnamon and an egg and, and, and other ingredients. Just go to the website, print it off, and you'll be great and good to go with a classic peach pie courtesy of Taste of the South. Thank you all very much. Like I said, note to myself, get somebody from that site on this show and let's talk a little bit more. Let's get into the weeds of great Southern cooking. Up next on hashtag hullabaloo, joy to the world is on Twitter and joy is spelled J-O-I, J-O-I to the world at J-O-I underscore life at joy underscore life. And they've got a picture of Joy to the World showing off a new skirt and smiling. Now, why is she doing that? Because she writes on her tweet, because I'm a little bit country. Hashtag good morning. Hashtag Tuesday vibe. Hashtag boots. Yeah, those are pretty boots you got there. Hashtag plaid. She's got a nice plaid skirt on in this look. It looks to me like she's showing this off because this is not a traditional look for Joy to the world, but proud of that new skirt and that new plaid skirt, and she's showing it off. Joy to the world. The skirt has come, and it's plaid. Thank you for uh, letting us know. See, here on the Y'all Show, on our hashtag, Holy, we just don't know what we're going to get in the inbox here. So if you've got something as simple as a new plaid skirt you want to show off, I'll tell the world about it. Because if you took the time to put this out on Twitter and social media that you're proud of your new plaid skirt and that you're a little bit country, as George of the World's telling us here, that we don't mind being in an echo chamber and sharing with our neighbors here that you're proud of that. And then on the same vein of publicity, I don't mind here going to proven websites like Taste of the South, a little bit bigger than George of the World, and telling you about classic peach pie. See? It's customer service, and we aim to be your top radio show on the dial. And we want to thank all of you listening to our great radio stations on the dial right now. Talk with a southern accent. All right, let me get one more social media comment, tweet in here before we take a break. This comes to us from Dawn Ellis Morris. Dawn's Fit to Be Free is the Twitter handle. That is at Dawn's. F-I-T, the number two, the letter B, and then free. Dawn's fit to be free. Dawn Ellen Morris is a master personal trainer 
a wellness coach, a group fitness instructor, and perhaps more importantly, is an independent thinker. Dawn Ellen Morris, hashtag yoga, hashtag Zumba love, hashtag happy black woman is Dawn Ellen Morris. All right. Now this one, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to get through what I really want to talk about here. I'm going to just write, I'm going to tell you what she initially put out here. And then her tweet got me to thinking. And I have to save this thinking to another day because it's going to take some time to get through my thinking, if you don't mind. But here's what Dawn Ellen Morris put out here. The way we were, thank you to the Black Southern Bell for posting this 1920s Black Southern Bell. Beautiful. Hashtag Southern. Hashtag African American history. Hashtag photography is life. And what Dawn Ellen Morris essentially retweeted was a picture from the 1920s of a beautiful black, as she called it, Southern Belle, and a hat, a nice hat, and a white dress, and have the, I guess you'd call them leggings, white leggings going up. Is that the right term for the 1920s and the in the roaring 20s? And this is a great studio picture of a woman sitting in a chair, and that you know black skin against that white dress in a black and white photo really stands out. It's a, it's a stunning photo. And as Dawn Ellen Morris writes, thank you to the Black Southern Bell for posting this 1920s Black Southern Bell. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great shot. And this picture here got me to thinking. And my thinking was, uh, because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of history myself, I bet you you have an interest in history. I love my family. I love my family history. But if I go back 100 years, 100 plus years of my own family history, of which I try and research, and I know a lot about my history of my family, both sides. But if you go back to 100 years plus, I don't think I have but about three or four photos of my family members who lived at the beginning of the 20th century, for example. There's only one photo I have of my great-great-grandparents. It's a family photo taken around 1898, and it's a great photo. The the, the ten children along with my great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother, and lucky for me, it's my direct ancestors of my name, Rawl. It's good old P.I. Rawl and his wife, Martha, and their children, including my great-grandfather, Bowman, and this was taken in Lexington County, South Carolina in 1898. It's a beautiful photo. In fact, I have the original. And I've shared it with distant relatives. I've scanned it in and, and shared it because I'm proud of it. It's a great photo. And it's held up. This photo is 120 years old now, and I have it. And because I have that one picture, that's the only great-great-grandparent of mine that I have a photo. So everybody's got, let's see, 16 great great double great grandparents you got 16 of them everybody's got eight great grandparents and you got four grandparents and so of my 16 great great grandparents this is i guess it would be p.i Rawl and his wife are both in that photo so i've got two of the 16 of my great great grandparents and that's it the other 14 i do not have a photo of i don't have a photo going back triple great of my 
of P.I.'s great, uh, his father, who was great name, John Rawl was his name. I, I don't have his photo and I certainly don't have anybody before that. And then as far as great grandparents, I do have about three or four of the, what did I say, eight great grandparents you would have. I have about three or four of those. And those were photos taken in the 1920s and 30s, maybe up until the 40s, uh, of them much in their younger days. And I bet you what I'm telling you is par for the course for, for you as well. I bet you you're lucky if you've got half of your great-great-grandparents and or great-grandparents photos somewhere in your collection. And my question to me when I was looking at this photo of from Don Ellen Morris that she put out on social media was maybe that's because it cost a lot of money in those days. My great-great-grandparents had this photo taken because maybe they were rich. Actually, they weren't. But I wanted to know how much did it cost to get a photo taken 100-plus years ago. And I've done the research, and I've got it. I just don't have enough time to tell you today. But guess what? That's why we want you to keep tuning in to the Y'all Show. We will get that answer, and I'll share with you. And it's really fascinating information. It's not quite as expensive as you might think. And I've got the cost of taking a photo in the days before the Civil War, the old Daguerre-type photo that uh, a lot of old photos were taken in ambrotypes as well. I've got info on that that I will share, but it'll just have to be postponed because we've flat run out of time on the hashtag hullabaloo portion of the y'all show. When we come back after this time out, we're going to switch from talking about money and 100 years ago and family photos to a Southern sports update. Plus, we've got some headlines from across the South that we have to get to before the hour's up. All that right here on y'all talk with a southern accent in fact just like the photos of yesteryear we're pretty affordable too here you don't have to pay a darn thing to enjoy the show that covers everything southern whether that's family history history in general or a little football news and we've got all that coming your way after the break stay tuned it is y'all Back on y'all, a little sports info here as we now hit the final quarter of the show all about the Southeast, our third hour of y'all. And want to let you know that some good news if you're a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, his doctor, is out saying that looks like things are looking good for the Bengals quarterback, the former LSU skipper, the number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft, his doctor saying that it looks like things are on track. All systems go. That according to Dr. Neil Curlin Job in Los Angeles. As Joe Burrow underwent reconstructive left knee surgery in December, and again, according to this doctor, all systems go for the Bengals and Burrow. They take the field for the regular season opener against the Minnesota Vikings on September 12th. The doctor who operated in December wrote in a text, He's on track for full go for start of the season. 
He's doing all the work. He's worked his tail off and been an amazingly mature participant in his recovery. He's focused and great to work with. Well, thank you, Dr. Neil Kerlon Job. Wouldn't you like to have those kind of words said about you? Forget the fact that you've had reconstructive left knee surgery, but how about if I just told you in a statement, I'll just say this for all you, you're on track to go. You are doing all the work. You've worked your tail off and you've been an amazingly mature participant in your recovery. You're focused and you are great to work with. How about if I told you that? Would that make you feel good? Well, Joe Burrow ought to feel real good right now because that's the response coming from his doctor after that reconstructive left knee surgery back in December. Burrow told the Chris Collinsworth podcast, the great Florida Gator slash Cincinnati Bengals slash NBC Sports color analyst Chris Collinsworth. Burrow told Collinsworth that he expected to be there for the first snap in 2021. Now that the doctor is working with the Bengals medical staff on his rehabilitation, they believe that goal is well within reach. Great news for Bengals QB and LSU great and a guy with his lineage in Monroe County, Mississippi, Joe Burrow. It looks like he could be starting week one. I'm proud of the guy. When I saw that injury, if you saw what happened to him in the 2020 season, he got creamed, and and it wasn't just one little injury. He, his, his pride was wounded, and it should have been. He got destroyed, and it would not have surprised me at all if they would have said that this would be a longer time to recover. He's still not there. He hasn't gone through camp yet. He could aggravate what happened to him on the gridiron in 2020, but it appears that the, the, the Heisman Trophy winner of 2019, Mr. Burra, is going to be burrowing in on the Cincinnati offensive front there and leading the Bengals to great success. And good job on that. I, I think he's a fantastic quarterback. And as the doctor just said, mature, did all the work, and I think that goes for the entire Burrow family there. Great news. Bengals fans, and I know there's at least one Bengal fan listening to me right now, so looks like you're going to have your franchise quarterback back in the fold. Speaking of football, the Arkansas Razorbacks think they might have their head coach in the fold right now. Sam Pittman, the Hogs head man, given a extension, and he's going to be able to restart his five-year $15 million contract after the coronavirus impacted his first season coaching the Razorbacks to a 3-7 and seven record in 2020. But, boy, it felt like it was a lot more wins. They got robbed against Auburn. I think there was another game they absolutely should have won that they did not win. The, the cards and stars were not aligned, evidently, for the Hogs. But the 59-year-old coach in 2020, his first FBS head coaching position of Arkansas, and he had spent a long career as an offensive line coach, and during that career as an assistant one of those stops included being the offensive line coach for the Woo Pig Sueys 2013-2015. to But Pittman, given an extension now through the 2025 season for Arkansas, are Arkansas fans happy with this? I would think there was a lot more excitement about Arkansas football in 2020 than we've seen in quite some time. 
because their last couple of coaches, it, it definitely did not work out. One coach, now actually going back two coaches, two coaches have gone on from Arkansas to get positions as head coaches. First, you got Mr. Motorcycle, uh, Bobby Petrino. He's now the head coach of the Missouri State Bears, Springfield, Missouri, and they made it to the FCS playoffs in his first season leading that Missouri Valley Conference team FCS-level football. So Petrino's back in coaching after tumbling and stumbling. He actually left Arkansas and became the head coach at Louisville before a disaster there got him fired. But he's back in coaching for Missouri State. And then you just saw a couple of months ago Brett Bimla, Brett Bilema hired as the new head football coach of the Illinois Fighting Illini. And so he's back as a head coach. Chad Morris, he ain't coaching anywhere that I know of. He could be coaching high school football now that I think about it. Yes, Morris was – was he at Auburn last year? I think I'm right on that as an assistant of some type. Chad Morris got paid quite well. Talk about a disaster at Arkansas. This guy, of course, had been an assistant for a long time at Clemson before becoming the head coach at SMU, and then he goes to he goes to – Arkansas and just bombs it. Yeah, he was the offensive coordinator at Auburn last year. He's now the head coach of Allen High School in Texas. So <laughs> Chad Morris back now as a high school coach after being the Hogs head coach 2018-2019. The Edgewood, Texas and Texas A&M alum, Chad Morris. NBA basketball on Tuesday. Hornets eliminated from the play-in. Pacers beat them. Pacers and Wizards get together on Thursday for a chance to be the eighth seed in the NBA's Eastern Conference. The Wizards fell to the Celtics. The Celtics advanced to be the seventh seed in the NBA playoffs. On the hard court of the NBA going on today, you got the marquee matchup is the Lakers and the Warriors, and that is a battle for seventh place, seventh seed, if you will, in the NBA Western Conference. The other game is your 9-10 battle between the San Antonio Spurs and the Memphis Grizzlies. That from FedEx Forum. That game tips off at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Bill Street time. Both of these games, Spurs, Grizzlies, and Warriors versus Lakers, televised on ESPN as NBA's season now ending in the so-called postseason. Not totally postseason if you're in the play-in, I don't think, officially. But check out some basketball that actually matters a little bit going on on this Wednesday. And then golfers making their way to the low country of South Carolina. It's your PGA Championship. It tees off on Thursday. We'll have Jason Null, a, a golf insider. He is with College Tour X, which is a golf tour for college golfers. Jason Null is going to be on here on the show tomorrow, Thursday, as well as Friday, if we can get him, if his schedule provides. And we'll get his take on who he expects to come away with a big trophy from the PGA Championship at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, South Carolina. And that is a look at sports here on a Wednesday. Hang on. We'll take a look at some interesting news and notes going on across the Southeast, including the suspension of an Army officer at Fort Bragg after a tweet he had about women's breast. Say what? Also, we'll tell you about a hangry alligator at a Florida Wendy's. All that coming up as the Y'all Show kind of winds down on a Wednesday.
All right, got a few minutes left here on the Y'all Show, taking a look at some of the goings-on of the Southeast. Right now, we told you in hour one of today's Y'all Show about the flooding and more going on in Louisiana, as at least one person has died as a result of water coming into their car as they were driving down the highway. Be careful out there. Also, we've got some intense weather as far as heat that's going to be hitting the southeast. At least 90 degrees expected along some of the eastern seaboard on Saturday. So dress appropriately if you're going to be going out to that portion of the south in the coming days. Also, we told you earlier in the program about a Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, a Little Caesars restaurant woman there attacking a fellow patron. And that's a good term to use in Augusta, Georgia, patron, if you know what I'm talking about there, Masters Tournament. Yeah, a, a Little Caesars patron attacked by a fellow Little Caesars customer, and it was all caught on video. Pretty graphic video. People out of control at a Little Caesars. Oh, my goodness. One thing as a fellow you probably don't ever need to talk about is a woman's breast publicly. And you definitely don't want to go talking about a woman's breast on Twitter. Well, unfortunately, that kind of bit of advice was not relayed to an person that all know better, an Army spokesperson. And now this spokesperson suspended at Fort Bragg following, again, a tweet about women's breasts. Uh, mm. Captain Rick Dixon is a PAO for the 3rd Special Forces Group at Fort Bragg, North Carolina tweeted a photo Saturday of himself and a female friend he says is a veteran he served with in Iraq. And his Twitter account blew up with lewd comments about the woman's breast size. Dixon didn't criticize those comments about that. Instead, he publicly shared her breast size on his Twitter account, and that drew even more attention from women who said that that comment only adds to a culture of sexual misconduct in the military Last week, officials released annual figures on sex assaults in the military, showing a slight increase in reported assaults in 2020. In the video, he says, After she was getting added by a bunch of people on Instagram and tagged in a bunch of different things, we decided that instead of taking a jab at every single individual person that was doing that, we're going to put something out. We apologize for anyone that's offended. It's certainly not meant to be that way, and we took down the tweet and I'll definitely do better on what I post from here on out. I didn't realize it was that sensitive. I mean, I, I'm not going to go out and start talking about women's breast sizes, but uh, you don't need to be doing that if you're an Army public affairs officer in the 3rd Special Forces Group, as Captain Rick Dixon is, and this spokesperson now suspended while the Army officials review this tweet that a lot of people found offensive. Again, who am I to judge? I'm not a woman, but... I, I guess it, it, I guess it is fairly private what your breast size is, uh, and and this woman in the photo was definitely showcasing that before it got her buddy in a lot of trouble there, and this PAO <laughs> suspended from the United States Army. All right, uh, I, I, I guess since guys don't go around talking about their breast size, it's probably not fair that women get embarrassed with their breast size now that I think about it. Charles Barkley, let's talk about a guy with a big head size. Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound, donating $1,000 to every one of Leeds, Alabama's school employees. The former Auburn basketball players and a native son of Leeds, graduating from Leeds High School in 1981, giving $1,000 to every Leeds City School employee 
This was announced on Tuesday. Through the years, the Leeds school system has been fortunate to have the support of its biggest fan and most famous graduate, Charles Barkley, class of 1981. Over the past three decades, Charles has quietly and without any attention drawn to himself provided over $3 million in scholarships to Leeds graduates, funds that have helped hundreds of students attend college. Way to go, Charles Barkley. That is a great story. And supporting his high school that he graduated from 40 years ago, Leeds High School's most famous alum, giving back $1,000 to every single employee. That is amazing, and that is a, a great thing to share. ABC is going to have a new series called Women of the Movement, and it will be about Emmett Till's mother, Emmett Till, killed in Mississippi in the 1950s. ABC will air this limited series, Women of the Movement, about Mamie Mobley, whose son, Emmett Till, became an icon of the civil rights movement after he was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. The network announcing its plans for the next TV series, next TV season on Tuesday, and it also will be reviving the Wonder Years, this time with a black cast that Don Cheadle will serve as the adult narrator on. But ABC now getting into a series about Mississippi and you'll have this out there called women of the movement about Emmett Till's mother who was not in Mississippi. Emmett Till was from Chicago, came to uh, Tallahatchie County is where that happened. Webb, Mississippi is where the trial was back in the 1950s. And now that's going to get turned into a limited series on ABC. Hey, how about something out of the bluegrass state free beer and ice cream offered at an upcoming Distillery District COVID-19 vaccine clinic. If you want to go check this out, the clinic hosted at Crank and Boom, and that is in the Lexington area. Those vaccinated at an upcoming COVID-19 clinic at this distillery district having a chance for free ice cream or a free beer after getting their, quote, shot of hope. The free beer offered to anyone older than 21, and that is a great thing there going on at Crank and Boom. So a little shot in the arm and then a little shot of beer. If you want it, there in the bluegrass of Kentucky and a little ice cream to boot. Out of Florida, a what's called hangry alligator chases customers in the Wendy's parking lot. And this happened in Lee County, Florida. This alligator challenged the traditional food chain while people were there at the Wendy's restaurant in Lee County. Some customers chased by this six-foot alligator. No one injured, but it was not what people expected when they went there for their food the sheriff's department in a tweet said he may have been hangry for a cheeseburger but he gave many quite the scare the florida fish and wildlife conservation committee and the lehigh acres fire department helped capture this six-foot alligator the gator likely was just trying to move from one body of water to another the alligator located to a nearby farm but yeah how about seeing a alligator while you're in the parking lot at your favorite wendy's restaurant not exactly what you want when you get that frosty in the car alongside an alligator. And lastly here, Greenville, South Carolina, is it art or is it obscenity? That is the question. In Greenville, SC, they have a exhibition of sculptures that's turning quite a few heads, and it's being displayed in the Falls Park and at the Peace Center in the upstate of South Carolina. And there have been a lot of complaints about what's out there. One resident offered a different assessment of the exhibit Speaking at Greenville City Council meeting this week, she questioned whether the nudity depicted in the sculpture is just art. This person, 
Allison Savria says, I'm keeping myself pure for marriage and that that 100% includes keeping my eyes pure. I thank God somebody warned me about the statues because if I had gone downtown unknowingly, that would have robbed me of my innocence and you would have been responsible. You have no idea how profoundly that would crush my spirit. Do you care at all that you're making hundreds and more people cry bitter tears because they saw a naked sculpture and I'm not as mad about this being naked as I am. It's just weird. It's just ugly. And you better cover your eyes when you're in Greenville, South Carolina, this park there at Falls Park. Uh, Pretty weird stuff there. I don't know what's going on in the upstate here with naked photos and um, naked sculptures going around. You know, here around the South, they're tearing down Confederate statues, none of which I think are naked. And in some places, they're putting up this naked artwork. What have we turned into in this country in this region y'all yeah but this one person says they're severely scarred by seeing a naked sculpture oh my goodness they better not go to ancient greece anytime soon all right one last little segment it is coming up next here on y'all don't miss out on the fun All right, last segment here of Y'all Wednesday. Thank you for being a part of our show as we wrap up. As I referenced earlier in the show, I had a big lunch date with our Hour 2 guest, Niles Reddick, on Tuesday. And a a weird thing happened while we were in there eating. A fella came up and said, I don't mean to interrupt, but I overheard y'all. And I I just wanted to tell you that I heard you praying. And I just want to acknowledge that and say, I guess he said congratulations. But... Have we reached a point in this country that praying when you sit down to eat is that big of an oddity? Kind of seemed that way. Fellow who, I don't know who you are, but thank you for pointing that out. I'm not trying to get brownie points of praying here on the show. I don't think it's really that foreign to sit here and pray before a meal, but evidently it must be. This guy went out of his way to say how cool it was for two grown men to sit down and say a quick prayer. It wasn't any kind of long, you know, Baptist preachers type, type prayer. It was me uh, doing the old uh, bless a meal, let's eat type deals. Hopefully, if you sit down today, you'll have a wonderful meal. We were going to serve up on the Thursday, y'all. Amazing, amazing content. And we want you to be a part of it. And we're going to have amazing content coming also on the Thursday, y'all show. Or rather, Friday, y'all show. So, see, all kinds of good stuff here. So, say a good prayer. And y'all, it's been an honor to be with you on the Y'all Show. We'll be right back here in just a few hours. So have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening.